So today we begin this Love Handle series with a message on singleness. I was talking with a 17-year-old boy in my home la- the, uh, last night, actually, and I told him what I was going to be talking about today, and there was a pause, and he said, singleness, singleness is good. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> it is. Spoken like somebody who's maybe had a couple experiences, right? Well, one of the things I wanted to begin with today was talking about, um, shall we call it the spiritual gift of breaking up? with relationships that don't go well. Uh, so Adam and I have had the, the privilege, I would say, of helping quite a few people break up with people they're dating who they shouldn't be dating. So, I mean, it's really kind of a gift. I feel like the Lord like, has gifted us with this. No, I'm kind of, it's kind of a joke, but we have had a lot of conversations with people about this. And Adam in particular is actually, uh, I don't know, he's just good at this. He's got like real clear boundaries on it. And so I'm going to begin this message today, not with the Bible, but with words of Adam. So I'll tell you when we're switching to the Bible words, but um, here, here are Adam's rules for breakups, okay? Rule number one, no, we can't still hold hands. Once you break up, you break up. You don't get to keep on holding hands or other things when you're broken up, okay? Some of you struggle with this, but just letting you know, once you break, the wisdom is, no, we can't still hold hands when a breakup happens. Number two, if you're dating, he is not your husband, and she is not your wife, okay? So if you're dating, that other person is not husband or wifey. Dating is lower commitment. Marriage is higher commitment. And when it comes to a breakup, break up fast with dating, break up slow with a marriage. They're at different levels of commitment. And so we don't need to treat dating relationships like they are married relationships. Rule number three. This is Adam through and through. He says, in general, it's good to be truthful about why you are breaking up. So if somebody says, is it another girl? And the answer is yes, you say yes. That's Adam's wisdom there. You still agree with that, Adam? You, you, you stand by that. You don't have to live by it anymore, yep. <laughs> but you use that one. You use that one, yeah. Uh, number four, breaking up is a skill you should have. If you are entering into the dating world, you should also have the skill and the courage to be able to get out of that relationship if you need to. So many of us enter into dating relationships and uh, we don't ever think about having to have the character, the strength of, of character to be able to say, hey, this isn't working or this isn't where I'm supposed to be. So just have the courage to get out if you need to. Uh, the next rule of Adam is if you break up and regret it, don't run back to that person too soon. Give yourself some time. It's so easy to say, oh, what did I just do? I just messed everything up. I'm going to go back. Just give yourself some time. Don't rush back. And that goes along with his next rule, which is give it two weeks. He always said, after you break up with somebody, give it two weeks before you date somebody else. Now, that rule is really good for young adults. (laughs) He says the older you get, the more time has to go by before you're ready to to date again, okay? So that's an age-related rule. But you gotta give it some time. Don't rebound automatically, don't rush into a new thing, give it time. And the final rule is have some self-respect. If someone's breaking up with you, don't beg them to keep you. Don't beg somebody to stay with you. Hold on to your dignity. You're a person of worth, and especially when it comes to dating, don't beg a person to stick with you, you be you. 
and you be strong and confident in who God made you to be. Anything else you want to add? <laughs> All I will tell you is Adam is available for consultations. <laughs> but today we're talking about singleness. Now we're transitioning into, into Jesus' words, not Adam's words. But today we're talking about, about singleness, and this is a topic that affects all of us, and I hope that you'll see why, whether you're single or married, I hope that you'll see this as we go through the, the message today. In the first 1,500 years of church history, singleness was actually considered the preferred state. If you were single, it was, it was considered the, the best way to be able to serve God. In fact, this was when the historic practice of the Catholics requiring priests not to be married, this was where that all began. It's because it was, single people were viewed as able to, like this is the way to like really be godly. So single people actually sat in the front of the church and married people sat in the back. Isn't that interesting? And then around the Reformation, around 1517, some things flipped and the married people sat in the front and the single people got moved to the back. And, uh, and then that's kind of trans- transferred into our society even today where often there's kind of this picture of, oh, it's better to be married and, oh, you know, single, whatever. And, but scripture gives both states of relationship significance. We're going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this chapter is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the people in Corinthians, and he's giving them instructions about how to live. And the whole book of 1 Corinthians is all full of practical, like, in-your-face kind of stuff about all sorts of different topics. And this particular chapter has to do with marriage and specifically singleness. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, It is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So he's saying here, if you feel a desire to get married, that's fine. But he's also saying here, singleness is good. Singleness is good. Skipping down in the chapter to verse 25. Now about virgins, and by virgins he's in he's talking about unmarried, particularly young women. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. That's the part I want to highlight. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. So single man Paul is looking at the married people around him, and he says, marriage is fine, but just so you know, singleness is a lot less complicated. (laughs) Wow, that got an amen. (laughs) I love it. <laughs> Singleness is less complicated. And, and he said this is just a dynamic of, of life. Then he goes down in, the, in uh, verse 32. He continues, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So he says singleness is helping you to have undivided devotion to the Lord. I want to read now the message version of that section we just read in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. The message version, I like its language. It goes like this. I want you to live as free of complications as possible. When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. The time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. I'm trying to be helpful and make it as easy as possible for you not to make things harder. All I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. Don't you like how he says marriage is a distraction? But he says singleness helps you to be undivided in your attention to the Lord. Verse 36, back to the NIV. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the manner in his own mind, the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. He says singleness is good. Singleness is good. And as I was thinking about what the Lord might have for us to hear today as we dig into this new series on relationships, I think what the Lord wants you to know today is that God cares deeply and personally about your singleness, about your dating, and about your marriage. Now, we're not focusing on marriage today, but I want you to know, particularly those who are single and or dating, single or single and dating, single or not dating and single and dating, is that God cares deeply and personally about this area of your life. Who we date how that works out, what our, what our romantic relationships look like is a huge part of who we are. I mean, we, we, a lot of us have stories or experiences of dating from our past that they have significantly shaped who we are because these are very important relationships in our life. It affects our sense of identity. It can affect our vocation and what we feel called to do in life. Our, the way that we engage in these relationships is a very significant part of who we are. And you need to know that God is deeply interested and invested in this part of your life, and he wants to be involved. The Bible describes two kinds of singleness for the Christian. Now the Bible, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, but the Bible will affirm that those who are single should be celibate, which, and celibate means not engaging in a sexual relationship. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But the Bible describes two types of singleness for the Christian. The first is 
vowed celibacy. Celibacy that people vow to do uh, because they believe that, uh, they, they vow lifelong sexual abstinence so that they can live out their commitment to Christ. Think priests and monks and nuns and people who make a vow of, of uh, they call it chastity, to, to be celibate, a vow of celibacy. And so these are people who would say, hey, God has given me this ability to be faithful to him in this way, and I feel this call of God to do that this way. And we have examples of the Apostle Paul in Scripture who, who made this vow. This is how he decided that God wanted him to live because it was his best way of serving God. And Jesus, Jesus himself was single, right? We have the great example of, of all time. So vowed, vowed celibates. But we also have dedicated celibacy. People who have dedicated themselves to celibacy. Maybe they haven't made a lifelong vow, but they've chosen sexual abstinence for as long as they are single. And this is an expression of faithful Christianity. Celibacy is a faithful way of life for the Christian person. Now, our culture is so overly sexed. I mean, we're just bombarded with everything. You, lit, young children are bombarded with sexual messages in, in many sorts of ways. And uh, we are, we're in this highly oversexed culture. And so our culture is going to tell us that certain things are normal and certain things aren't. And, and the fact that the Bible gives us this message about celibacy can, can be surprising to some. In fact, I want to share that the path that Scripture gives us is that the sexual relationship is, served for mar- is reserved for marriage only. That sex is designed for marriage only. And, and I say that knowing that there very well may be people in this room that have not heard that before. And, then, and it's something that is just so countercultural and something that is not a normal part of what we often talk about in church. But God gave humanity the sexual relationship for the, the consummation of a husband-wife relationship, this act of covenant love sealed with a vow. And, and he gives it to people because, there is, because this is a way of, of protecting and strengthening and deepening the marriage relationship. God cares deeply and personally about your singleness and dating. So four points. The first point is that God created us for connection and intimacy. Human beings were designed to want deep connection, meaningful relationships, intimacy, whether it's sexual intimacy or just simply relational intimacy. Human beings were designed by God to want and to need this. We've, we've heard stories and we know of situations where children who have been separated from their parents for whatever reason and then are raised in institutions, like if they're separated as, as infants and then are raised in infa- institutions, often cannot physically develop in a, in a healthy way because they haven't had that, that touch and the caregivers and the people who invest in them in that way. We were designed by God to need human intimate, deep, meaningful connection, both sexually and non-sexually. Adam and Eve together both reflect the image of God. We don't have one Adam or one Eve fully reflecting the image of God. God says, if you're going to reflect my image, you need male and female, and you need deep, meaningful connection. We need meaningful friendships. We need meaningful relationships. Those who are married can experience this in marriage, but single people are also designed for deep and meaningful relationships. 
Scripture teaches that we all need it, and marriage is one way that we work it out, and faithful singleness is another way that we work that out. I would also suggest to you that it's a bad idea to try to find somebody to complete you. Sometimes we think, well, I have to get this other person in my life because then I can be a whole person. If I can date this other person or get married to this other person or have a relationship with this other person, then I can be whole. There's this missing piece of me that only they can fill. But no one person can complete you. God designed us to be in, in, in a broad community. He gave us church. He gave us humans. He designed for different needs to be met by different people. He designed that that uh, yes, if you're married, a spouse plays a role in that, but, other, but we also need friendships, we need mentors, and we need people we're pouring into. No one person can complete you, and if, if you are leaning into that, you're asking God, you're asking someone to do something that only God can do. We start to run into the risk of codependency, we start to run into the risk of finding your identity in another person rather than who God made you to be. And so we have friends, we have relationships with neighbors, with co-workers, with significant people in our lives. We have relationships in the church. And this community with other believers helps us have a full and meaningful set of relationships. So God created us for connection and intimacy. It's a God-given need. It's part of how we are wired and who we are created to be. God cares deeply and personally about your singleness and dating. Point number two God wants to be your first and primary relationship. God wants to be your most important relationship. This is true whether you're married or not married. God wants to be your first and most important relationship. Our first calling is to Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. Now, did he say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind? And this is the second command because you can have your dating relationship or your marriage relationship first and that significant other can be first and then I want, I want to be right after that. He says, I want to be first. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And I would just pause and add here that perhaps Jesus could also say to us, do not worry about who you will or will not marry. Do not worry about if that person will come. He continues in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, could add a single hour to his life? He says, don't worry. Trust me on these important things. They're, it's not that they're not important. He says, trust me. He says in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what do we do when we, when we ask God for these things 
and he doesn't give us what we want. What do we do when we've been praying about these things, when we've been asking God for these things, and he doesn't bring that person, when he doesn't bring that, that longing that we have? And by, by saying this, I do want to acknowledge that not every single person is sitting around just pining away, waiting to get married to somebody. There are many single people who are very content with where they are. I just specifically want to speak to this particular moment for those who, who might wrestle with this, who might be wondering, who might have questions. What if, what if when God doesn't answer the prayer? Well, I think some things that we can do are we can fast and pray. God tells us to pray. I think we can put ourselves out there before God and say, God, I want to hear from you. Fasting and praying changes us. It, it, it causes God to move in ways that we don't understand. But fasting and praying helps us connect with God on a deeper level and often helps shift us to a different place so we can hear what God wants to say to us. We can also trust God. Like actually trust that God cares about the dating life, God cares about future relationships, and that God is invested. We can trust that God is working something out on a sphere that we can't even see. We don't know what he's doing in the life of that other person you may end up with someday. We don't know those things, but he does. And we can say, God, I trust that you are sovereign. God, I believe in you that if you have someone for me, I trust that the timing is there. If you don't have somebody for me, I trust that you're going to make me okay with that at some point. We can be faithful to him, and we can have confidence in his goodness. Our first calling is to God. Point number three, because God cares deeply and personally about your singleness and dating, number three, God wants you to be equally yoked with another believer. Now, equally yoked is a phrase in the Bible that comes from 2 Corinthians 6.14. And it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what, might, what fellowship can light have with darkness? So yoking is, this yoke is this picture, there's a picture of, um, I'm told these are oxen? Oxen. First service told me that these were oxen. So, I apparently don't know my animals, but I don't know my farm animals. Uh, but they have a, there's this wooden bar that goes over their necks that is called the yoke, and it is what the farmers will put over the animals to help them walk in sync so that they can pull a wagon or they can pull a plow. And so this yoke is this wooden bar that, that joins them so they can pull this burden. An unequally yoked team has one stronger and one weaker ox, or one taller and one shorter ox. And, and they, so they can't walk at the same pace. They can't pull the same kind of load. And so they're unequally yoked and they, they can't accomplish what they need to do in a good way. And so when Paul talks about not being unequally yoked, he's discouraging people from being in unequal partnerships with unbelievers because believers and unbelievers are not in alignment in the same way. Now this passage is talking about all kinds of relationships, about all kinds, about, uh, often this is used to describe business partnerships, like don't be unequally yoked with someone who's not a Christian in a business partnership. It, it's it's going to be a problem. And it's often applied to marriages. Don't be unequally yoked in a marriage relationship. And I would say don't be unequally yoked in a dating relationship. We need to pay attention to these things as the reason that God gives us that instruction. Some might ask, well, what if I'm already married 
and we are unequally yoked? What if I'm a Christian and my spouse isn't? Or what if I'm not a Christian and my spouse is? Uh, there's a part of the passage that we're not going into today. But, but what 1 Corinthians says is, if you, are mar- if you are unequally yoked and you're married to somebody who's not a believer, stay in the marriage, stick with it. As long as they're willing to stay in the marriage, stick with it. Don't try to get out of it. And I would encourage you, if you're dating somebody and you are unequally yoked, break it off. Again, break up dating faster, break up marriage slower. We need to help each other with these things. And I think that good Christian friends help each other in these kinds of conversations. We help each other by supporting each other and asking probing questions like, hey, are you unequally yoked? Or what is this person's relationship with Jesus? Or how does God fit into your relationship? Ask some of these probing questions. I remember when I was in high school, I had uh, my, my, first, my first boyfriend um, was not really a Christian. And I remember an older girl who I really respected. I looked up to her because of her faith. I think she was a senior and like, you know, she was, she was an example, a role model to me. And I remember her coming up to me saying, hey, I see that you're with this guy. And I'm like, yeah. And she said, is he a Christian? And I said, well, he's a pastor's kid. And she's like, Christy, you and I both know those aren't necessarily the same thing. And I still remember those words to this day because here somebody had the courage to speak that to me. Somebody had the courage to say, hey, you're my sister in Christ. You know better. Come on. And church, I think that we are so committed. Our our culture tells us to be supportive of people no matter what. We can keep on loving people no matter what they do, but as Christian brothers and sisters, it is on us to say, hey, time out. Let's have a conversation. Hey, time out. Do you think that maybe you're not quite on the path that God has for you? Time out. Is this really what God wants for your life? That's what real community looks like. Real community says time out. Fake community says, oh, just do whatever you want. Christians can help each other with these things. If you are dating a person who's not the kind of person you'd want to spend your life with, why would you spend this crucial part of your life joined to them? Why would you waste the time? Don't be unequally yoked. God cares deeply and personally about your singleness and dating. Point number four, final point, is that God set up relationship boundaries for our flourishing and well-being. God set up boundaries for our flourishing and well-being. When my children were little, I taught them to not run across the street. I taught them, here is the edge of the yard. Don't run into the street. This is a boundary. If you cross it, that's going to be problematic. It's not safe. And God has set up boundaries for our relationships as well uh, when it comes to the sexual relationship and even the emotional relationship. God sets up these relationship boundaries for our flourishing and well-being. Celibacy, dating, and marriage all require boundaries. In the early days of a dating relationship, often you'll have something called a DTR. Anybody know what that stands for? A defining the relationship. All right, we have to have the DTR. Let's talk about this. Like, are we exclusive? Are we seeing other people? 
Uh, do we actually like each other? Do we call this dating? Or are we going to call what we're doing? Are we an item? And so you like have this talk and then you define if you are or are not going to see other people or what that's going to look like. In marriage, the boundaries are defined already. No, you can't see other people. Yes, we are exclusive. But in dating, you have to kind of like sort through that and figure it out. Again, dating, less serious commitment. Marriage, more serious vowed commitment. But both have boundaries of different sorts, don't they? Dating says, no, we're not having a sexual relationship yet. Marriage says, yes, we're having a sexual relationship, but only with each other. Now, we don't like boundaries. We're humans. We hate boundaries. We're rebels. Our culture tells us that living, with sexu- living without sexual boundaries is normal and that having sexual boundaries is unusual, dangerous, scary. If you've, got, if you've got boundaries around the sexual part of your life, oh, that's not normal. I mean, you should really be cautious. That's, that's, all, that's Victorian and stuffed up, and that's a problem. That's what our culture tells us. But these boundaries are set up for our health, our wholeness, our flourishing, and ultimately our happiness. And the, the maturing Christian will be able to recognize that boundaries are our friend. Boundaries keep us from running into the middle of the road. The desire for intimacy is good and God-given. And that desire in marriage is met in the sexual relationship. But that, that desire for single people and, and also, honestly, married people also needs to be met through meaningful relationships with other people, too. Relationships that are deep and significant and meaningful. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, perhaps you've never thought of the word holiness as being associated with dating. You're like, yeah, those don't go together. But I would suggest to you that they can. Dating should be fun. If dating's not fun, there might be a different kind of problem going on. Save all, save all the hard work for when you're married. But dating should be fun. If it's not fun, maybe you need to think about, maybe you need to have that breakup conversation with Adam and he can help you figure it out. But, but dating should be good and beautiful and holiness is good and beautiful and is, is about our well-being and about our flourishing. And I'd encourage you to have that word holy as the word at the forefront of your relationships. Now, wh- wherever you are in the relationship journey, married, single, single and dating, single, wanting to date, single and not dating and, and being content there, whatever, wherever you are, have that word holy be at the forefront of your mind. God delights in our connection with each other. And God created marriage. God created deep community. God created singleness. God cares deeply and personally about these things. So I want to encourage you today. Have courage to pursue the hard but healthy path. I want to encourage you to have self-respect. I want to encourage you to be a man of God or a woman of God. To have your foundation be in Jesus. 
to have an identity that is not rooted in the fulfillment of somebody else filling a hole in your heart, but an identity that is rooted in, I'm a child of God and has created me for meaningful community with other people. I want to encourage you to submit your sex life to God's boundaries. To let you know that if you're in a place where you're just like, yeah, you know, that hasn't really gone how it should have gone. You can start over. God says start today. Let's get us, we all, in all areas of our life, all, the only thing we can do is either continue with what we're doing or stop and pick up the pieces and, and start in the new direction that God has for us. It's like that in every area of our lives. But God can, God can restore, God can rebuild, God can solidify your faith in him. And I also want to encourage you, if you're a believer, don't get bound up in a relationship with someone who's not. He asks you to do relationships his way, not because he wants to care about just stifling all your fun. God doesn't ask you for these things because he just, he's serious and angry and mean. God only wants your life your abundant life, your wholeness, a healed heart, a healed body, a healed mind. God wants all of these things for us. And, and we have all stumbled and messed up along the way, but God offers a path forward that is, is the promise of new life. We, we can work through healing journeys. We can work through, through, through all of that. But God says, commit this part of your life to me. Commit this part of your life to me. I only want for you goodness, wholeness, fulfillment, godliness, and holiness. And so, Lord God, we come to you today. I specifically pray today for those who are single. For those, Lord, who you have given contentment to in this season, I pray that you will strengthen them in their faith and give them increased vision for life and meaningful, deep human relationships. For those who are dating or, or wrestling with dating, Lord, we just pray for your wholeness, your goodness, to, your wisdom to be part of those relationships. Lord, thank you so much for caring so deeply about these things, for knowing these deep desires of our hearts are connected with, with our relationships with, with people and with who you've designed us to be as human beings. You've made us this way. And thank you, God, for the gift of human relationships. Thank you for the gift of romantic relationships. And I pray that the Christians in this room would be strengthened and given courage and given a strong sense of self that is rooted in you. Lord, you won't disappoint. You will not disappoint us. We're so thankful for that. Amen.